Talk to an artist is part of 723 Ministries at Lovers Lane United Methodist Church. To support our continued work in West Dallas, text LLUMC to 77977 and designate the funds as 723 Ministries. Thank you for helping us continue this important work. Welcome to our show, Talk to an Artist, um, the show where we get to, well, I get to, there's just me, um, where I get to interview artists who have been involved in art distillery and art cultivation at 723. Um, and this week I get to interview D.R. Man Hansen. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the invite and creating a space. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I've seen you, um, I saw you perform at Art Cultivation and in Art Stillery's Generations of Adam. So you've been involved in Art Stillery, I want to say, from almost the beginning, correct? Ooh, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> they've been around for about four to five years, and they've been oh, doing... Wow. Generations of Adam was their third full production of immersive theater. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I kind of was around in terms of I saw the first piece, uh, Family Dollar, and that was like a one-weekend thing. Um, it was a, a, a beautiful, serendipitous moment that got me there. Um, and it, it was life-changing. It was some of the best immersive theater that I've seen ever. It reminded me of uh, Sleep No More, the big immersive piece in New York. Uh, and it was a great, and, and ever since then, Art Stillery's been on my radar. And I've dabbled with them throughout the years, but schedule and life never really allowed me to fully dive in until Generations of Adam. And, um, and that was an experience in itself that was life-changing too. The work that Art Stillery is doing is... Um, it's work that is not being seen anywhere else in Dallas, and uh, that's why it's so important for people to know about them. And, and I think it's important for artists to work with them, and it's been a, a joy and a gift for me to, to have had some of those experience. And then Art Cult itself, like that variety show, I don't think since like Sunny and Cher has there been something that's like the Sunny and Cher show where you just, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. I didn't know there was that much talent in Dallas, which is a really stupid thing to say, but it's true though. Every time I, I go there, I'm just like, who are these people? Where do they come from? And it's, and it's of all different mediums and, and uh, concepts. It's not just, you, you know, theater or music or dance. It's really um, a complete diverse group of artists that are given a space to do what they do and what they love to do. And that's amazing. So um, yes. And that's where we met was through uh, generations of Adam and, and, and art cult. Um, I, and because of your generosity with the space, 723, the fact that you've given so much autonomy to Art Stillery to, to create there is also a gift that is not really seen in Dallas. I know a lot of small theaters that struggle with location. Um, and for you to work alongside and be such a generous uh, partner to Art Stillery is amazing. So kudos Thank to you. I appreciate that. Sure. Um, so for folks that haven't gotten to kind of get to know you or see you at Arcult or in Generations of Adam, I want you to just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and, you know, what makes DR DR. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm an actor, director by education. Um, I went to school at Marymount Manhattan College in New York for a year and then finished my schooling at San Francisco State University. Um, uh, moved back to New York and worked with a company called uh, Stone Soup Theater Arts for about five years. We uh, produce socially conscious and politically conscious work. Um, uh, and then about, God, nine years ago, uh, my now husband uh, got a 
promotion and we moved back to Dallas where I grew up. I grew up in Dallas. Went to Newman Smith High School. Um, and then we moved back here and um, I kind of floundered for a little bit. You know, it was a, it was a rough transition for me, actually. I wasn't expecting there to be a culture shock moving back to Dallas because I grew up here. Uh, but there was, I just would walk around and be like, oh my God, look at all these white people. Um, I, I lived in Harlem um, for five years. So it was just like, it really was a culture shock. And um, yeah, so I kind of floundered for a little bit, not knowing where I wanted to go. And I started doing more administration theater, um, working at Water Tower and then working at Dallas Theater Center. Uh, and so that gave me a totally different perspective than I had before and I'm, I'm grateful for it, but it was also difficult to still have an artistic life because once people peg you as something, they won't allow you to be something else in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, I left Dallas Theater Center about a year and a half ago and I've been living that gig life, walking dogs, doing theater, filming TV shows, writing, basically, you know, living my day, my life one day at a time, which I'm grateful for. And it's kind of something that the pandemic has been teaching us as well. So, um, and amidst all of that, my husband and I opened up a board game store called Common Ground Games uh, seven years ago. And so I've had the, the joy of uh, working alongside him and watching him flourish and grow and really, um, you know, not to be dramatic, but kind of change the industry in a lot of ways in how he's been leading the store and the community here in Dallas with when it comes to games. And uh, during the pandemic, I've actually been uh, delivering games all over DFW. So when the world joined me from working from home, I went back to work and was out there delivering games all over the city. So it's kind of ironic, that little switch that I experienced. So, um, you know, for me, I, I'm an, arti an artist who is very much transitioning into activism. Um, and I know those two can live and coexist. Uh, and I'm, I'm finding out that for me as an artist, what I produce is really only fulfilling and beneficial to me and I think to the world when there is um, uh, a desire to see change and we're talking about that uh, in the work that we're doing. And so I, I have found that that's what really um, uh, enlivens me and excites me. And I'm, I'm gravitating to those types of projects and wanna be a part of those. Because um, I do think that art has the ability to, to change hearts and minds and start conversations. Uh, I mean, we see that you can look at uh, tons of studies about how that um, is true, especially in young people. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a Renaissance man, which sounds a little arrogant, but you know, I, I'm good at a lot of stuff, not great at anything. So that's kind of, uh, how, who I am, I guess, maybe. I would like to differ. I think you're really great at theater. So I'll just say that. Thanks. <laughs> so, maybe um, for compliments, maybe not. I don't know. Hey, we can, we all deserve a little enlightenment and lifting <laughs> up at some points, you know, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so you said you grew up in Dallas at Newman Smith. Um, where did you, is that where you got started in theater? What was kind of your first, I always, I, I yeah. ask people, what was their like lightning moment where they went, oh my God, I love this. Like, yeah, sure. yeah. And I think, I mean, not to downplay everyone's experience, but I think when you listen to those answers, they're all going to have a similar thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think I, I share that as well. Um, it was my freshman year in high school. I was in the, the band hallway, because I was in band at the time playing saxophone. And it was after school one day, I was in the band hallway just goofing off. And uh, my friend Elizabeth Roy came in, asked me what I was doing. I was like, nothing. And she grabbed my arm and took me to uh, an old cafeteria where there were auditions for the spring show. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I didn't really know anything about theater. I mean, I knew what theater, I just had never worked 
alongside, you know, theater people or anything like that. And I really was kind of inadvertently pushed into the deep end and had a ball. Uh, it was just crazy to be, and the, I, I don't even remember all the parts of the audition, but I just remember being engaged and activated for what felt like the first time where I could be free. And I've always had a, a ton of energy and, you know, borderline obnoxious, funny, whatever you want to call it, class clown. Bullshit. And uh, this was kind of the first time where, when I was able to engage those elements of who I was in this space, that people like perked up and saw me and it was a good thing. Mm. Uh, and uh, I remember just doing random stuff and improvised uh, in improv style classes and exercises and people were like, who the f is this guy? And it was nice, it was, it was cool. Um, and it engaged my brain um, in a different way um, along with my body, which was cool. So I got cast, they didn't even have a role for me. They just put me on, it was a, it was a show within a show. So there was actors on stage doing stuff and so they just kind of hired me as like an understudy and they like wrote a few lines for me to be in there. And I remember the first time coming out on stage as an understudy, um, I sat down in front of a, a little makeup desk and there was the mirror in front of me, but there was no actual mirror. I was looking out into the audience. And so I was like putting on my makeup as the actor and I literally like I come out, I sit down, I start doing that. And I look out and like, I see a, a sea of people in the audience. And I was like, holy shit this is crazy. Like people are paying money to be here and to watch us do this. And I basically get to lie for an hour and a half and get paid for it. And it was like, and I was a big Christian at the time. So there was like, this like titillating, like I'm a liar. I'm going to be a professional liar. Um, and to have like that kind of subversion happening was really kind of cool and exciting. And it was wonderful. And I left band and did theater full time and went to college for it and have been, um, uh kind of a, a convert ever since that's so cool yeah the first time you like get to see like or be have that energy of an audience interaction like that's kind of addicting you're like oh i want to do this the rest of my life you know i mean there is an energy exchange that i don't think people fully understand the audience kind of gets it but i don't think until they get to be on stage as a performer they're never gonna understand what that means when i was uh the front of house supervisor at water tower i would do the pre-show live speeches and i'd always say stuff like I would always try to like ramp them up and get them excited and kind of be their hype person for the, the actors in the show. And I would always say, this is live theater. We feed off that energy. So this is not a passive sport. This is not a passive uh, activity. You as an audience member are a part of this. You are almost the important part of the equation. So wake up, be a part of it. Be excited, be uncomfortable, laugh, cry. You are a part of this, join us. And a lot of uh, actors would, come up and like thank me for that because it helps set the stage ha, 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 literally for the performance that was about to happen and I do believe that 100% so you know as a performer myself I'm like I wish somebody would go out there and hype the audience like don't just sit there you have to be a part of this and join us um so it you're right there is that it's just it's intoxicating um and and almost indescribable because it's it's different for every every performer yeah, so just thinking about, you know, audiences and, you know, you always know when you have a bad audience, you're like, oh, God, that was miserable and just the struggle with that. So, um, you know, what's been the most challenging aspect or a challenging experience with live theater that you've had where you felt like that was really tough and I struggled through that one? Um, you're asking from a performer standpoint? 
Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, or whatever experience you've had just with the live theater. I mean, you know, I, I know there's so many aspects there's backstage, you know, on stage, front of house, all that, just the thing that you thought, man, that's, that was tough. I mean, I think it's really hard when um, people don't show, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think we've all experienced, you know, very, very small audiences. Um, and that's hard because you've been putting in a lot of time and effort and your own money, sweat, tears, blood. Um, and that's kind of hard. And that's not, it's, it's, it's easy to take that personally, but it's important to, to learn not to and to create those boundaries so that you don't, but it's still very difficult uh, not to just have a moment of like, I wish more people were here to see it. Yeah. Um, ironically though, with Generations of Adam, uh, our second night, we only had three people there. And the night before we had like 40, which was like kind of like the max we could have in the space. And so it was fascinating for our opening weekend to experience such diametrically opposing audiences. And they were both what we needed at the time. So I'd have to say in that situation, having that small audience was a good thing in a lot of ways for us to work out the immersive experience. But that's typically not what happens in that. Um, I think also with live theater, there's a lot of politics that people don't really understand. and that's been my biggest wrestle, honestly, being back in Dallas and the part of the, the DFW theater scene is there's just a lot of, there's a lot of clicks. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. And most of us don't even know that there are hoops or what those hoops are. And when you're auditioning, you're already putting yourself out there and to have to keep doing all this stuff, it just seems to me, very distracting for the purpose of what we're doing here. Um, so I, I'd have to say that like, that's, that's been the, the most kind of uh, sobering part of theater, which is something I never experienced when I made theater in New York and San Francisco, which I find very ironic uh, that my experience in creating theater in Dallas is very different than those two big cities. Um, and I think it also just goes to show that people, there's, there's um, what's the phrase? Nepotism, so much in theater and like, a lot of people don't know me or don't trust me. And so they'll use the people that they use and trust. And I totally understand that. You know, to go, this is uh, kind of a soapbox that I've had and I I feel like I'm gonna share it anyways, even though it's like, it's been um, unasked. But I really would love to see, and this is like nationwide, I would love, because I think theater is an exchange of talent and ideas. And if you really wanna foster a robust, engaging, diverse, exciting city of artists, they have to learn from each other. And so I would love to challenge DFW specifically theaters to one season commit to only hiring people they've never worked with before. And I mean, some theaters have like equity rules they have to abide by. And so I'm not gonna, you, we're not gonna trump that or you know, get, we're not gonna ask to break those. But I don't know, I just think that when doing that, you're gonna create a space with a veteran actors and, and novices and people from all over, and they're going to be able to create something new and exciting and never seen before. And I just think that it, it's going to spread the wealth because there's a lot of really talented actors that don't play in some spaces and there are, and, and vice versa, you know? So I don't know. I think there's something about um, live theater, much like any life in any industry that you just get really bogged down with what is supposed to be or following the, the dialogue and the equation that has been handed down to you when we can easily just say, I'm not gonna do that. I wanna do my own thing. 
And there are people doing that. I'm not trying to, you know, um, reduce and minimize people. I think Art Stillery is, is one of those places. Gray, uh, Flexible Gray is doing that as well. So there's a lot of great theaters that are doing that. I would just wish there'd be kind of a, um, a united front. Uh, because I mean, selfishly, there's places that I want to work with and I haven't worked with before. So like they would, you know, they'd get to maybe hire me because they've never hired me before. So it's definitely self-serving, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but I also think the heart of the matter there, that there's something that could be really interesting and uh, exciting. Yeah. Well, there's also the aspect of like, we want, we want inexperienced people to get more experience. You yes. know? I, yeah, and I, we need to have that. There needs to be this kind of mentorship within the, the, the theater community and a desire to do that um, genuinely. And, and in a healthy manner, I think, so. And I think about all the young theater, all the kids coming out of like college that are just, are trying to, you know, I have a lot of friends who, we went to a small Christian school out in Abilene and they have an incredible theater program and have come back to Dallas and have just been trying and trying yeah. and trying and trying and trying and like, they're talented, they're great people, they deserve to have a space in theater and yeah. yeah. But they didn't go to Baylor or they didn't go to UNT. Right. And that's where people have connections from. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of the game, but I just don't like the game, so. Smash the game. Yeah, break the wheel, come on, Daenerys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, in contrast to challenging aspects, what has been, you know, if there's like a particular story where you thought, oh, this was the most incredible thing, and I'm so glad I did this, and it was so rewarding, like what's been the most rewarding part of being in live theater? I mean, every show is different. Every show has its own, um, it should, I hope. I hope every actor can say this, that every show they do, they've learned something new and exciting and it's brought its own um, uh, gem, its own uh, exciting aspect to it. Um, I think one of the shows that come, up, uh, come to mind is a, a show called Bent. Um, it's about the, uh, the queer internment during the Holocaust. Um, and uh, it follows uh, a, a, a gay guy who was being, who got caught, caught by the Nazi. And he knew that the pink triangle was the worst symbol to have on your prison uniform. Uh, and so he convinced um, Nazis to, I won't, I won't reveal it because it's a, it's a big part of the show, but he convinces the Nazis that he's a Jew. And so he masquerades as a Jew uh, around a bunch of other uh, queer people wearing the purple triangle and he gets better treatment, not much, but a little bit better than uh, uh, the gay men in that area. And it, it, it follows kind of a, it's, it's a unconventional love story, I would say, between two prisoners um, and it's beautiful. And uh, I was honored to be a part of um, a very short production that happened at the Cathedral Hope. And um, it was an all queer company um, all gay men that worked on it and to be around uh, uh, an entire cast and crew of gay men telling the story about gay men in the Holocaust was uh, oh so powerful and uh, a gift and uh, I remember the last night that we were doing it we only had three nights I hate when that happens but that's just the nature of <clears throat> you know small productions and not having a big budget <clears throat> um, I remember the, the kind of the, one of the last moments of the shows I was doing something and I discovered something for my character that I was like, oh God, I wish I could come back tomorrow and explore that a little bit more. Um, and uh, so that was, that was powerful. Um, 
but I think, you know, as I, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, not trying, but I'm, I'm finding ways to marry my, my art and activism. And it's definitely becoming more and more uh, easier and uh, evident in the work that I do. And so I think any type of work where we're talking about um, important subjects, I was just in Loving and Loving at Bishop Arts Theater Center. And that was about um, uh, mixed race relationships and uh, the supreme ruling um uh, of loving versus uh, the state of Virginia, which we just celebrated last week, June 12th. Um, and I, you know, I had, I had some conversations with people afterward. A good friend of mine talked to me about his kind of own unconscious bias that he learned from the show. And uh, I've been really wrestling with this idea of like, does theater really change lives? Like, had, has someone really gone to go see a piece of theater and then voted differently? Or I, I don't, I, I wanna know those numbers. I wanna see that barometer because we say it all the time. Um, and I do believe that theater can spark very important conversations, but I'm at the point right now where conversations are done. We need action and we need people to be able to humble themselves and realize that maybe they were wrong and how they were thinking and how are they going to change their lives? Like, I want to see that. Um, and so I got to see that with a friend through loving and loving. And we talked about that and you know, it, it was, he was very vulnerable. Um, and I was also able to share some of my vulnerability of my own unconscious bias toward black people. And it was a really great conversation. And um, that wouldn't have happened if he didn't come see Loving and Loving. And he may not have seen Loving and Loving if I wasn't in it, I don't know. Mm. Um, so it was that, that kind of power and that um, the evidence of the work that you're doing is, it's life-changing for them and, and for me as well. Um, and I've learned a lot as an artist too, especially at Bishop Arts Theater Center. I didn't know about Emmett Till until I was in a production of The Face of Emmett Till at Bishop Arts Theater Center. And to be a 30 year old, just understanding what happened, I was embarrassed. Um, and we always talk about theater changing the audience, but we, know, we don't talk about how theater can change the performer as well. And I've been very grateful that Bishop Arts Theater Center has been um, a history teacher to me in a lot of ways with these stories and um i get to be a part of them and tell those stories is it's humbling it is beyond humbling and um it's a little overwhelming too sometimes to be like am i am i worthy of this um and i don't know if anyone is worthy to do it but someone has to do it and yeah. those stories need to be told and however they're told is more important than who's telling them i think mm. Mm. that's yeah those that sounds Man, I wish I had to come see those shows now. Now I'm like, all right, can the pandemic wrap up so I can go see some shows? Like, I want to get out there. Yeah, there's, there's, every city has these under the radar shows and it, it, it saddens me that people don't um, know about them or get to see them or they don't, they're not given the same um, chance to, to tell their stories in a lot of ways. Again, kind of going back to the game itself. And that is in terms of, you know, how money is spent um, through the city and nonprofits and, I don't know. So yeah. So anybody listening, you know, in Dallas or other cities, find a small theater, go on Google and just put theaters in your, your area and, and do a little bit of research. It's not that hard. I'm sure you'll find a theater that might even tell stories that relate to you and your community and go and support them, especially the small theaters. The tickets are pretty accessible, I think. Yeah. So um, go do that right now, friends. I'll say it's a lot cheaper than DSM for sure. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, really. Good Lord. Um, so we talked a lot about different shows and lots of incredible experiences. So is there a show that stands out to you that you haven't mentioned so far that like has been your absolute favorite to perform? And why is it your favorite? No, it's a big question. Yeah. Um, 
I don't, I don't know if I have, <laughs> I mean, bent, bent is something that I would want to do again, just because there was still so much that I was learning and that was yeah. incredible to be a part of. Um, there's a, there's, there's definitely stories that I want to be a part of that I haven't, uh, definitely shows that I would definitely love to still be in kind of like my, my bucket list shows. Yeah. Um, but those might not be good to perform because I've never done them before. I might be like, Oh my God, I hate this show. I don't know. Um, it's, I think it's a little hard for me personally because my, one of my favorite things about theater is the expiration date. Like I really do love the mm. fact that there is going to be a time where this is over and we can move on to a new project. I like that aspect. I like the, the, the constant ability um, to reinvent yourself and learn and to do that through the art that you make. So I actually have, ironically, uh, when I was in New York with Stone Soup Theater Arts, we actually remounted um, two of our shows and I got to do that. And then we, I remounted another show with another company. So I've had three different opportunities to do the same piece um, at different times. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if many actors have that um, experience. And so that's interesting. I mean, so I've been able to do some work twice. Um, I don't know if it's ever better, you know, I don't know. Oh, that's it's, a, yeah, that's a great, uh, I was just, you made me think of, uh, so I did theater in high school. So I was in theater, I was like in the Miz and all kinds of stuff. And so, um, uh, there was a show I did as a sixth grader that I went back and directed. I was in it and I directed it as a senior. Oh, wow. And so just that conversation of like doing it over again to be able to be one of the leads in the show and then to direct the show as my final project for my senior year, like having that kind of seeing the difference and how yeah. the show happened, like that really does, I think that ends up being one of your favorite things because you're like, you've done it and you're like, you have a yep. lot of experience and memory. Yeah, so that's a great, I think that's a great thing to bring up. And I. I think that's a, personally, I would prefer to do that. I, w I would love that, that switch in role because you can take things that you learned as a performer and bring it to the director and vice versa. That's, that's kind of cool actually. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cool. It was really fun. It was a show, it was actually, it was really intense. It was a show about the Holocaust. And in the first iteration of it, I played a resistance fighter, a Dutch Christian resistance fighter. And then I got to direct it and cast my little sister as the lead. Stop it. Yeah, so it was like a really great experience to like have this moment as like a young, a very young like intro to theater kid and then finish kind of as someone who'd done a ton of shows and been in lots of stuff with, yeah, so it was really cool. <laughs> I just, I get a little emotional with it. No, for sure, you should. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, even that isn't a unique experience, you know, with the, the family member involved in that. Like yeah. there's, you know, we we've talked about energy a little bit and even in yeah. that, there's that energy that, is going to make that show different than any other show of that same production. You know, it's, that's really cool. What was the show called? It was called The Strength of Our Spirit. Okay. Yeah. And the, the show focused on, um, it had one of those kind of like older Miriam was telling the story of young Miriam. And gotcha. so you had the adult telling her story as someone who was taken to a camp and it had this, kind of powerful sequence of like telling all the headlines of like Nazi invades Poland, Nazi or like, you know, Nazis open Auschwitz and all this kind of stuff. And then it tells about her story on the train to her concentration camp and the people she meets. And then, I mean, not to spoil it, but I mean, it's a one act. So you can send the show and realize that she's the only one that made it. 
Oh. And she she then, as the adult, tells like where her friends died. Oh. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's powerful, but it's it's so so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So to take a hard shift from like really dark kind of sad moment. Um. So what inspires you? You kind of talked about like art and activism. Is that yeah. really where is where your heart is now? And yeah. what does that look like? Um, justice. Um, that, that, that really inspires me and the pursuit of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's so far as like bad drivers ignite my sense of justice, like get the fuck out of here. That is not what you're supposed to do. That is wrong. Yeah. Um, but on the grander, bigger scale of who we are in the world that we live in right now, it's very much, um, being engaged in that aspect and finding ways that the art that I produce can bring about justice or the conversations of justice. Um, that just, that's just where my mind kind of constantly uh, rests. Um, so yeah, I don't, it's, it's funny. I was looking, I've been looking over my resume and I've been like, I, I don't, I don't really do like comedies. Like it's, I, I'm kind of a funny guy, I think sometimes. And I just, I don't, I just don't gravitate that way. And, uh, and the, the work that I produce isn't, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. The world needs that type of entertainment and I respect mm -hmm. it and I consume it and enjoy it. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just not in my wheelhouse right now. Um, I just, I'm really conscious about time and how we use it and what we're using it toward. Um, and that's, that's one of my love languages is time and quality time with people. So. That's, it, it just kind of all is in sync together at yeah. this juncture of my life. And I want to recognize that I have a lot of privilege in terms of what I'm doing right now. You know, I don't have a full-time job. Um, I'm, I'm supporting myself through a bunch of different gig work. Um, we have a successful game store that is uh, providing a lot of opportunities for my husband and I. So I recognize that and I'm grateful for it. And um, I wanna make sure that I use that for the betterment of who we are as, as, as a people in the country. Um, and that sounds all very like, very heavy. I also watch a lot of stupid television. <laughs> so as we talk about time, I do waste a lot of that time. Um, but I mean, it's all about balance and being conscious of that. And um, that's what I'm learning on a daily basis. So. Um, yeah, justice inspires me. Um, I also think um, nature. Nature is a big inspiration. Being able just to take a walk around. Um, anytime that I do that, I walk away with like a, a new sense of um, gratitude and a new sense of who we are and a, and a different way to see the world, which will then uh, usually influence the art that I create. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. I love, I love the focus on justice and action and that arts provide action. Like I think that's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So in a total kind of, maybe not a total shift, um, you know, we're all kind of still in this stay at home phase of quarantine and I know like states have reopened, but let's be real, another stay at home order is coming. Like, yeah. It's on its way. And, and you, don't, you don't have to wait for it, y'all. You can just also yeah. stay. You can wear your masks. <laughs> wear your masks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in this time where we're all kind of working from home and learning what that looks like, um, is there a book or film that you could recommend that everyone, you think like this is something that everyone needs to see or read or watch. What, like, what would that book or film be? Ooh. 
so much, y'all. I mean, there's so many different categories. Um, I think right now, in terms of this uprising that we're dealing with with Black Lives Matters and police brutality, um, I would encourage everyone, if you haven't already, to watch 13th on Netflix. Um, I saw it a couple years ago, and I actually paused it and like was crying, and I went to my husband. I'm like, did you know this? And he was like, yeah. I'm like, I, and I did not. And again, another one of those moments of like, holy. Um, it's a very powerful, eye-opening, and educational piece that shows how ingrained white supremacy and racism is in this country, and it's actually written into our Constitution. Um, it's very eye-opening, and it's a, it's a great way to start your journey if you haven't, and it's a great way to um, complement the work that you're doing if you're already on this, this journey. Um, I, I want to pair that with something a little lighter just because we do need moments about that. Uh, I think one of my favorite comedies is Drop Dead Gorgeous. So, like, go watch that. It's every line is perfect and you'll hopefully will be laughing all day long. So if you need a good laugh and a good escape, um, Drop Dead Gorgeous, I, I would say is, is an important one. I will say I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I listened to a podcast called Wine and Crime and they're obsessed with it because they're from Minnesota. Oh my so God. Quote it constantly. And like, I find it funny just from them quoting it. You, you have, you have to like, when this is over and you've got your done <laughs> at 1130, yeah. I won't tell anybody Watch it. Take a long lunch. Take a long lunch and watch the movie. Um, it's it, it's actually very important for me too in terms of um, I mentioned earlier that I I grew up in a very strong Christian environment, um, and uh, I I've, I learned about this movie right when I graduated from high school, and I think that summer I saw it and was just blown away. And I came back and I showed it with some of my Christian friends. And there's a moment in the the movie that's a little bit triggering, yeah. um, but I find it hilarious. It's just absurd and so funny. And at the end of the movie, they were so upset about that one moment. And I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's not the type of, I mean, if you, something can't be that sacred that you can't laugh at it. I think um, you should be able to poke fun of anything and everything when it's done in a way that is kind of respectful, I, I guess. And I don't know if this would be considered respectful, but it was just funny. And they were so uptight about it. And I was like, Ooh, no, goodbye. Like no. it was an eye-opening experience of just like, who they are and who I was at that time. Uh, but it's also just a funny movie. Go watch it. <laughs> no, Christians need to make fun of themselves because there's so much of what we do that I'm like, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's okay, especially, yeah. especially it's okay for also for other people to laugh at it. And it's not taking away from who you are because honestly, your faith shouldn't be that fragile. Right, right. That's fair. I believe. Yeah. Um, because what they're doing is a reflection of them and not you. So mm -hmm. don't make it about you. Um, anyways, books, 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 books. <laughs> um, God, I, there's a, I'm reading Faggots right now by Larry Kramer. He passed away uh, two weeks ago and he was a huge advocate uh, for AIDS and HIV um, and, uh, and for just gay rights in general. Um, a modern day hero for, for queer rights and he passed away and I'd never read the book. So I'm reading that right now. Um, it's, a, it's, it's good. Uh, but I, I mentioned that in terms of, uh, there's another book called, and the band played on, which was, uh, nonfiction historical that really goes in deep into the HIV and AIDS epidemic and how this country handled it. Um, and I read that 
about 10 years ago. And it was, uh, it's, it's mandatory reading for anyone who identifies queer. If you haven't already, definitely read that. But I also think it's important for allies and non-queer people to read it because it does give a, a very uh, in-depth look at all of the missteps that happened during the onset of HIV and AIDS. And I mean, it's, it's being echoed right now with the missteps that are happening with uh, the COVID-19. So um, our, our lives are very much kind of repeating itself in, mm -hmm. um, in like a glaringly obvious way as if yeah. to say, learn from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. I'm also watching When They See Us right now, uh, yeah. about part five. And the second episode has live footage of Trump saying, horrible things about black people and it's just like wait is this 2020 or is this 1989 so it's just it's weird in a lot of ways um the parallels uh of the the things that i'm consuming right now um but yeah i wish i had more inspired answers to those questions no those are great i mean that's the, the idea that like you know time really isn't linear it's kind of cyclical <laughs> yes you know? like that's a real thing and so we are we are doomed to repeat the mistakes we don't learn from basically. exactly but it doesn't have to be cyclical that's the thing that's yeah. just like there is hope there i don't want us to get bogged down with that aspect but we have to learn and we have to do the work and we have to make sure it doesn't happen again and that yeah. honestly, it's exhausting it's not mm -hmm. easy work but if we don't do it then 20 years later we're going to be talking about another netflix special or whatever streaming is mm -hmm. happening at that point about what we're talking about today so yeah it, it is possible to, you know, break the wheel, but we just have to do it. Yeah, it's a whole, like, I, I really do think there's, there is truth to the Eastern um, belief of kind of like that nirvana and, and karma and how, like, when you, like, you, you have lessons, you have to kind of yes. experience and learn in life. And if you don't learn, like, come back, you got to come back to it and keep going yeah. back to it and keep going back to it. You're going to keep experiencing that, that, I don't want to say trauma, it might be trauma, but you'll, you're going to keep experiencing that situation until you learn from it. And, uh, and that's what we're doing right now, honestly, for sure, in mm -hmm. the country. But it also happens on an individual scale uh, and you have a little bit more power to control what's happening to you as an individual. So mm -hmm. that's where actually where the work starts, honestly. You know, it's, it's that you're that pebble. When you do that work and you uh, drop yourself into the pond, the ripples of what you're learning will spread out and will affect other people. So... Um, Focus on yourself and how to be a better person and the world will follow. Yeah. So I have one more question for you that I did not send you in advance. What? I know. This <laughs> um, I, journalism, I, I quit. <laughs> Joan gotcha. For <laughs> yeah, sorry. I need a gotcha moment. Um, no, so this is a question I ask everybody and I don't send it in advance, but I want to um, yeah. just, I'm interested to know if you could kind of broadcast one sentence or two sentences to the whole world um, and everyone would really absorb it and soak it in and experience it and you know really let them let it change them what would be your one sentence that you would want everyone to hear I'm going to uh borrow a quote from James Baldwin. Perfect. Oh, I, he's incredible. I think uh, I want everyone to hear this and marinate on this. We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression 
and denial of my humanity and right to exist. Oh, yep. I love that. That's, that's the truth of the thing. It's, it's not necessarily just, oh, we have different opinions. It's like your opinion does not get to be an opinion if it means someone else suffers because of your opinion. And I think that the, the statement is twofold. It, it does address the need to be united mm-hmm. and to develop our differences and, and to know that it's okay to have a different opinion. But again, like you just reiterated, not at the expense of my humanity or my right to exist. There has to be that clear delineation. Um, and I think, I mean, if that, I don't think that's a confusing statement to understand. So if, if that is something that we could all get on board with, a lot, of, um, a lot of our pain and suffering and trauma would start to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, we, we as the church, there are these general rules that we ascribe to. And the rules start with, first, do no harm. And like, that's the bottom line. That's where we start. Um, and I can't say that the church has done that over the years, sure. but it is our goal and our ultimate strife that like are striving that we first do no harm that's an admirable admirable go to goal to achieve and Mm -hmm. as long as you're adjusting when people tell you that they're being harmed Mm -hmm. then you're you're doing it and that's amazing macy i applaud you all for that keep doing it and adjusting um that's such a gift to your community and my community because i'm we're in the same community right here so We're in this together. Yeah, we are. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us, for being part of this um, Talk to an Artist, and for sharing kind of your heart and your soul and your inspiration. I really appreciate having this time together. It's been uh, a moment for me, too, to, to pause and reflect and enjoy very um, engaging conversation. And I want to just reiterate something that I said to you before this started, because I think it's important. Um, yeah. I really want to thank you for all the work that you're doing with 723. Um, I have been traumatized by the church in a lot of ways. And um, when I started working with Generations of Adam, I walked in with a wall up. Um, I also played a pastor who did terrible things. And I got really excited about that because I wanted to show the hypocrisy that I have seen. Um, And that's kind of my own sense of justice there. And I had no problem playing this horrible person because it was almost my sense of justice to show um, the hypocrisy of that character and how that character exists in many different churches. Mm-hmm. And we've had conversations and I just saw Macy, how you showed up and how you listened and how you supported the group. Um, and at no point did I ever feel that you weren't listening or that you were taking things personally or were being defensive. You listened, you actively listened and you learned and you continue to do that. Um, and as someone that, almost immediately shuts down when someone talks about the church or their belief in Jesus. Um, One of my ears shuts down and my foot is out the door in those conversations. I don't have that with you and the church that you're serving. um, And that's a gift. So if anyone is looking for a church home, um, I would definitely strongly suggest that they look to you because I'm not going to say that about anybody else right now. Um, And I, and I don't say it lightly either. I say that because I see the work that you're doing. Um, and it gives me hope, and I'm very grateful for that. So thank you. You're for gonna that. make me cry. <laughs> thank you. Well, on that note, join us next week. <laughs>
and I cry again over this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for the work and this opportunity. It's been a great time to chat with you. Thank you.